we do thank you for the confirmation, for the witness of your Holy Spirit. You said in Romans 8, Lord, that you gave us the spirit of adoption. Your Holy Spirit, a seal, a guarantee on our hearts. Lord, we know we belong to you and you belong to us. It's where we cry, Abba, Father, our Daddy God. We reach out to you knowing that, Lord, you first of all reached out to us and you care for us. So, Lord, we celebrate your life. We celebrate your goodness. We celebrate you drawing us to yourself continually. That, Lord, we have our hearts we know are prone to wander. But, Lord, yours never shifts. It never changes. It continually stays steadfast towards us. And we celebrate your goodness here tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. We, we celebrate the goodness of God and the life of the Lord in us. And we're on a, a, a journey. We're on a, a series where we call it Sacred Things. Jesus, there are things in this life that are sacred. And I know if we're not careful, I know there are things personally sacred to us that we get maybe a hand-me-down or something that's been passed down or something that we hang on to that we think this is very valuable. And I always use the example. Think when you get you go through a closet or you're going through something and, and you decide you're going to downsize or you're going to get rid of stuff and you start making piles and you say, okay, this stuff, I got to get rid of something. And you start pulling out and you go, okay, well, not that. And you get over the next thing, not that. And okay, not that. That's not going in. And next, no, not that one. That and you got this little, little thing. You get rid of two or three things and all this. Well, let me store it back up in here and make it all nice and neat. And they were like, oh man, that's sacred. But we're looking at something that God sees as sacred. And we've, we've looked at names. We've looked at at, at um, the Word of God, we looked at prayer. To, this week, we're looking at relationships. And relationships are very powerful. And this morning, if you weren't able to be here, I encourage you to go online or you can get a CD right out the back. When, when you go right there to the left, where those we give it, we give those to you. We just want to bless you. So those will be there. Patrick E's did a tremendous job, one of our elders, and and uh, to stir this up. But we're gonna we're gonna define that a little bit. We're gonna kind of narrow in a little bit this. This evening, and we're looking at this thing, what we said, sacred things, it's the same thing as holy. It means set apart. It means apartness. That th- this thing stands, there's a purpose, specific special purpose for it, and God is very intentional in everything he does. And so when we talk about sacred things, God knew exactly what he was doing when he, when he, when he gave us his word, when he instituted prayer, when we communicate with him. That's our way of talking to him and him talking to us and speaking to our hearts. And we, um, we look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 that says this, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive. In other words, it's possible. There is on this earth because of everything that comes at us, uh, our, these, these things we call our eye gates and our ear gates and everything, these main ones that we take in stuff and we take this stuff in from people, from the media, from all types of directions, from our little devices here. We've got to be careful because we can be taken captive. These little things here have taken a lot of people captive that all they, I mean, you watch. There's a video I saw last week where people were walking into fountains, looking at their phone. They literally go into a fountain looking at these things. They can, there are things on, in this world that can take us captive. Paul's told the Colossians, he told the church in Colossians, be careful. And they didn't even have those. It said, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, 
There are spiritual forces that are out to attack, to try to hold us captive, to get us to think things, and to begin to make decisions based on this world rather than on Christ and what he came to do. And so we've been looking at these things that are sacred to the Lord, and we're going to make sure nothing gets to take that. And tonight, we're going to narrow relationships down to this one word we call marriage. It is a, it is, it, it's a covenant. It is a, uh, 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 we come into uh, an eternal agreement with God and we come into an eternal agreement with people. And it's a very special covenant that we come into. And if we're not careful, we'll let our culture begin to define what marriage is instead of what God defined it as, what he defined it as. And so I want to say this right off the bat. Marriage was initiated and established by God. In other words, man didn't come up with this. This wasn't man's idea. So man doesn't really have a lot of say-so into what they think it should or could be. Now, I know in our society today, there is a challenge and a battle that is still raging in the hearts and the minds of people. And even in the church, there are mainline denominations that are battling over this position of, of marriage and who can be married and, and what it's about. And I'm saying tonight... As we celebrate, it is sacred to the Lord and it is sacred to us, especially in the church. And we'll see that later on down as we, we go through this. But I just want to establish in our hearts and minds that God is the one that initiated. God established it. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I like the way he put that, fitted just perfectly for him. It's, it's a fit, right right there, right nice fit. And then in verse uh, 20, now God had already established that, but he was waiting for the man to come along with that because Adam hadn't figured that out yet. God already knew it, but Adam hadn't figured it out yet. So Adam, the only human being alive, and I've done this before at weddings where I sit there and I make a man close his eyes and say, there's nobody else here but you. To think that there's nobody here but you. You're the only human on the planet. Man, Adam sitting there. Red clay, human. The, the, the man that God made in name. And he, he, he's alone. And it, he's going about his work. He's, he literally is enjoying God. He's not sitting there going, Oh my, I'm, I'm lonely. There's, I'm so lonely. We talk about loneliness that we struggle with. Think about being the only human on the planet. There's nobody else. Who you go, oh, no, no, I'm not, I don't got a neighbor. And so when you look at it, um, he goes on and he, he says this in verse 20. And it says, then man gave names. He's going about naming like he's supposed to. God had created everything. He gave him the freedom to name it. He says, here, whatever you call it, that's what it's going to be called. And so he's naming livestock and the birds of the heavens and the, every beast of the field. And then Adam's the one that discovered, but for Adam, Adam determined there's not one, there's not found a helper fit for him. And I believe it was God's intention to say, hey, you know, because he was fully, perfectly content with the Lord. Like, wow, I, I don't have any, I've got God, I'm in the garden, I'm loving it. But as he's looking and he's seeing two of every kind, he's looking at each animal going, well, they got a mate and, and, and they got a mate and they got a mate and, they got a mate. 
Something's missing. Anybody know what that is? It's my mate. I don't have a mate. And so that's where he determined that. But God had already established it. He had already said it. It's not good. Now, the neat thing about that is, after everything in Genesis 1, and many of you know this, but just for a refresher, it gives us an account of creation. It gives us a decount of what day one, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. In Genesis 2, it goes in and begins to recount, but it gives us a different picture, a different uh, storyline of how it goes on. And so when it says in, in Genesis 1, after everything created, he said, it is good. It's good. It's good. But he sees Adam alone. He said, that ain't so good. <laughs> he knew it, but he had to let Adam discover it, which for many of us, we're going about our routine and going about our day. And you're like, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm going through, a, a, you know, we're, when you're younger and you're working and you're trying to, you know, to, to uh, improve and empower you, you're trying to figure out, you know, the gifts and talents you have and your likes and your dislikes and, and what type of, of career or what type of, of, of inclination you have, whether it's in, in business or, or whether it's, you know, what, what type you want to do and what gifts you have. Many times you're not thinking, you know, oh, yeah, she's cute, but I got to get this or, you know, he's handsome and I'm, I'm trying to get this accomplished. And until one day you come to the point where it's like, hmm, it's not good for me to be alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I discovered that when I did. And I'm glad that God in his grace already had one fit right there next to me that was ready when that time came. So it goes on to even say this in Genesis 21 and 22, where he says, very familiar passage of scripture. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep, <laughs> anesthesia right here, Holy Ghost anesthesia. I'm going to put you out, lay you out there uh, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed his place with flesh. Now, God is a tremendous. When you talk about a deep sleep, you better be. How many of you have ever been in a surgery and you're like, you want to be out. Don't wake me up. I, I, after it's over, I'm good. I don't want to know anything. Just, you know, I, I remember I've done that a few times. I'm like, yeah, I just want to get up. Oh, what happened? So God put him out deep and he takes a rib and he makes this woman. He closes it up and the, and the rib that the Lord God taken from the man, he made into a woman. A woman beautiful thing and he said and brought her to the man do you see god in his great incredible ability to create and he's got this man and he's he's just happy naming animals he's just playing with animals which a lot of times us men we just want to play with the animals we're out in the woods and all out everything and it's like hey <laughs> it's not good for me to be out here by myself and and he does that and then god does a tremendous work for him. Now, I had a fun thing. I had a, uh, a kindergartner one time in children's church. And I loved, when I used to do children and youth, it was beautiful. I'd have these little ones. Like, I had one of them that asked me the question, Pastor Mark, if God kicks Satan out of heaven, can we get kicked out of heaven? And I went, that is a very deep, powerful question. Said, I'm going to have to go study all the theology on that one, and I'll get back to you, five-year-old. Okay. <laughs> then with this one, um, this was a, when we were teaching it. They go, Pastor Mark, do 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 men have less ribs than women? 
Because God took one of the men, and so we got to have less ribs than the than the woman. I was like, well, as a matter of fact, no, they do not. Because that was just one rib he took from Adam. The DNA was already there to all the other ribs. It's kind of like if somebody I said, look, if somebody, if you took something and something happened to your finger, it doesn't mean everybody from there on is going to have that finger messed up. But so it was fun stuff as we walked through this. God, when he made this and he put put them together, he wanted them to understand one of the deepest things and that, that really... One of the main truths of marriage, and it's this, that marriage is meant to meet our deepest need for companionship. In other words, I know that we say that dog is a man's best friend, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Mm -mm. (laughs) I mean, we had dogs. We've had dogs our whole married life, but that's because my wife loves dogs. And so I love my wife. Therefore, we have dogs. Um, It's real simple. Um, but that's not my best friend, little furry, little four-legged thing that does anything sometimes. Some people think cats are that way too, and we're not going to go there because I know I got in trouble one time. Somebody, there are cat lovers. Any cat lovers in here? No, don't put your hand up. <laughs> we're not, we'll pray for no, I'm like, <laughs> Y'all know the difference between cats and dogs. Y'all know that. Dogs think you're God. You know, you walking out. It's been so long, I want to say, I'm <laughs> They just want to lick it. They want to be all. But a cat, you walk in and, and they think they're God. So they're, they're like, mm, I don't think so. Don't you, whoo, don't you touch me. What you think you are? You just come pet me. I don't think so. <laughs> whoo, no. <laughs> so anyhow, it, animals are great, but they don't compare to the helpmate that God created for each of us. And so when we look at this thing, It's to meet that deep need for companionship. That I need somebody beside me to walk with me. Not just because I have all these needs. And let's be honest. We're all needy. But God wants to establish something incredible in our lives. And it's a helper thing. It's not somebody that I got to go and say, hey, help me. It's It's not like I'm drowning. It's just I'm better together than I am alone. And when we go through marriage counseling, we always look at that thing of, so you're saying to me that you believe you can fulfill God's purpose better together than alone. And many times they look at me and like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. I'm letting you know that's what you're saying. You believe that you can fulfill God's purpose better together than you are alone. And in Genesis, we're going to look real quick. Again, Genesis 2.18, it says it. That's what we looked at a moment ago. He said, it is, the Lord said, the Lord's the one that said, it's not good. It ain't good for Adam to be by himself down there. It is not good. He needs a helpmate, somebody that can come alongside. That's why when Adam woke up and Adam, God had brought Eve to him. And well, let me rephrase that. If I've studied Genesis 2 over the, you know, for 30 years, I've looked at it. And, and ladies, this will help you. This will bring some relief. Those of you who are married and those of you who want to be married one day, put this in your, put this in your thinker here. Nowhere in Genesis 2 where it says he woke up. It just said he brought the woman to her. There's nowhere we said, and he woke the man up. He's still, so men sometimes, we may seem like we're in a deep sleep still. <laughs> like, hey, what's wrong with him? 
Mm, go look. I never quite woke him up and said, hey, man, he's still under, under Holy Ghost anesthesia. What? Uh, okay. So, but he, 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 uh, he said it's not good. And when he brought the woman to him, that's when Adam said, look how beautiful he states it. The man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because why? She was taken out of man. We are one. We are connected. And the beautiful thing about God in the rib, think about it. He could have used anything he wanted to make a man. He could have take a, taken a hair follicle. He could have taken a brain cell. He could have done anything he wanted to create the man. But he said, I want you to get the picture of, I want you right up side by side. I want you to get that feeling, understanding you fit right next to each other, not behind, not in front, but right beside. And so we know, um, those of us who are, are married and been married, it is about a side walking together with the Lord and walking together with each other. As a matter of fact, here's a picture. It's called a marriage triangle, but it, it gives a great kind of example of what we're striving for. In marriage... Many of you know this and you've probably seen this. But God, we it, it, it's not a hierarchy. It's not like I'm better than. The Bible does say that the woman came from the man and that our position is different, but our person is exactly the same. And so when we when we look at when we're going after God, and, and I'm just saying all the single people in the house, make sure when you see some, make sure they're going after God. <laughs> just make sure their heart's going that way. Because if it's not going that way, it's going that way and all other kind of ways. But as you're going towards God, remember what happens is you go towards each other. If you're both going after God, you're moving closer to Him, but you're also moving closer to each other. And your life and your relationship and your desires and your wants and all that begins to correlate with each other. And instead of fighting as we were shared this morning and taught this morning, instead of wanting what I want, when I want, how I want it, we want God's way and God's will, and it works so much better. And so that, that gives a good analogy and say, hey, and so for us married people, ask yourself, which way am I searching? Am I going after God? Or am I just kind of settling in? Because I want us to continually, Lord, your first place, everything belongs to you. I want you and I want for you, and we'll see more what, how that plays out. This is what it says here that our marriage, our next slide, it, it goes on and says, the Lord created the institution of marriage to meet our need at needs as a whole person, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The husband and wife are uniquely qualified to meet these needs of companionship for one another. So we have physical needs, we have emotional needs, and we have spiritual needs, and we know that we have to go to God for ourselves, but we also can encourage each other spiritually. How many of you know sometimes that somebody just needs a... Uh, a, a good, hey, I love you. You are so special for no reason at all. Amen. amen. <laughs> and the wife say, amen. <laughs> it's not like you did anything. It's like, you are just so special. Or this one, my favorite, and, and ladies, correct me if I'm wrong. You're so pretty. You're so beautiful. And they're like, oh. <laughs> I tell young men, you cannot tell 
You cannot tell your wife. Now, I know love languages, and we've looked at those words of affirmation, words of encouragement, gifts, we, acts of service. I know all those, but it still helps when you tell a woman, she, she's sober, because we know sometimes we struggle with that. Now, us men, we, it's like, you so handsome, like, I already know that, but you don't, but thank you for telling <laughs> Most times us men don't struggle from that. We're like, we look in the mirror like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Women are like, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, no, Jesus, yeah, help me. They're looking at it trying to point stuff out. So that those words of encouragement, we, we can do that, and we can meet those needs to help encourage each other. The next thing, marriage uh, that God, when he initiated, was to meet our deepest need for companionship. But it also needs to be stated, and especially in today's culture, marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And I know, and we'll see in a minute how that plays out in the church today. But we need in our hearts to establish, especially in the church, that we can't allow the, the, to be taken captive by our culture to begin to define what that looks like. Now I know in our culture today... Pretty much, not every family, but many families struggle with people that are in that life cycle, in that in that struggle. And we have this delicate balance of how do I love and how do I walk this out between them. The fact is, is we still, in our hearts, have to reverence the Lord and say, it is between, it is still established between a man and a woman. Genesis 2, 24. Uh, well, as we saw where he said this now, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. But here it says in Genesis 2, 24, after that statement, in 23, this is where the Lord says, Therefore, since it's now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, therefore, a man, gender specific. Now, in Scripture, there are times where um, the Bible uses man as generic, like humans, mankind. But in this, it is very specific. This for, therefore, a man, masculine, male, shall leave his father and his mother. How many ever had a struggle with that one? Come on now. We just go ahead and tell you. It's a real thing. Let me say this, and I, I'm giving y'all marriage 101 in, instruction. It never says for this reason a father and mother is supposed to leave their, their son. Like, in other words, my mom to this day, she still calls me baby. Okay, baby. Okay, baby. Every time we have, good night, baby, I love you. Like, I'm her little baby. I'm her little son. I'm her little fella. When my kids were younger, and we'd be down there, and we'd be playing, and uh, my, my kids, they were younger, and, and my, my mom would ask, do I need to give your daddy a spanking? Like, yeah, daddy, yeah, daddy, give, give me a spanking. Yeah, daddy, give me a spanking. And they thought, yes, yeah, you finna get a spanking, daddy. I'm like, it's Okay. <laughs> So what happens is, is it says for this reason, a man shall leave. It doesn't say the parents leave. So this is where us men have to take a stand and say, you know what? I see myself in a different role. I see myself as a different person, a different position. And this, y'all, it became so real to me. I taught this for years and I did marriage counseling. I did couples and marrying people. It never became more real to me. Than when my son was getting married. And we showed up at the rehearsal about 30 minutes late. <laughs> Won't say whose fault, but it was one of ours, and my mom was with us, and we're I'm like, we gotta get the rehearsal, they're rehearsing, rehearsing. We're getting there. So we show up and it was a God thing. I was so like, I need to get there, but as I walk in, 
I've been teaching this for so many years. For 20 years I've been teaching this. And I walk in and there's my son standing at the altar waiting for his bride. In rehearsal. It ain't even the real deal yet. And as he's standing up there all smiling like... <laughs> he's got that goofy grin on him, just all happy like... Oh, this tall leg and I walk in and I see my son and I'm going, oh. I get teary-eyed still today. I'm like, he's changed. He's taken on a completely different person. He, he's taken on a new assignment in his life. He's leaving me as my little fella. Now, he'll always be my fella in my heart, but he's taken a step and he's, Dad, I love you, but she's first place now. That's a big step. When we talk about it, it being, an, and that's a, 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 a man and woman that says, he shall leave his father and mother. That's the, that's the first key. And what happens if I do that correctly? It says, and hold fast or be joined to his wife. Like she becomes first place all of a sudden. Like we wrote our own vows and I even told my wife, I choose you over every other person on the planet. Not, not every other, every other person on the planet. You get first because you can only have one first place. And so, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I like to use these terms. You, you can write it down, but I didn't put it there. It's leave, cleave, and weave. If you want to remember it real easy, they leave, they cleave, and then they weave this life together. But that's between a man and a woman. That can only be done effectively because it deals with both physical. It deals with emotional, and it deals with the spiritual and the way God initiated and God established it. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, Paul is writing and he said, but among the Lord's people, that's among the people of God, that's among us. Women are not to be, uh, are not independent of men. We have a real problem in our culture because of women that have been hurt, because of men's uh, insensitivity and because men's ability and, and really not understanding women, they can get hurt real bad. And as a result, they think I need to, I need to be self-sufficient. And so they become independent thinkers. Like I don't ever, I don't, I don't need a man. I'm like, Ooh, sorry. You're going to have a rough time. You, you do. Cause it says the same thing and men do the same thing. I'll never be hurt again. Y'all remember our, our gang, Spanky, the he man woman hater club. <laughs> like, you got alfalfa and Darla and alfalfa's all smitten with Darla. Oh, Darla. And, and all the other ones like, you can't do, we, get back over here. We're, we are men. Now that was young, young, immature thinking. But men think, hey, I'm independent of women. No. It says, for although, in verse 12, although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. So we have to get this right. That it's us. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm just reinstating and re-encouraging us in what we already know. And so, the next thing we look at is marriage is the means by which God wants to populate the earth. There is that part of, hey, God wants us to bring forth holy children unto him. And that's a beautiful thing that God established. He knew exactly what he was doing. And God, that's what it says in Genesis 1.28, it says... And God, uh, and God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, 
I know we are having a struggle right now about population, but I want to, can I, can I encourage you a minute? We are not nearly about to fill the earth. I mean, if you were to take all the residents in America, like 370 to 80 million people in America right now, we could fit them all really in Texas. If we, if we had to and get all close together, we could do that. There's a lot of land that there's not even being used. So when we look at population, like, we're going to be overrun. They're going to take over the whole, it's, it's not going to happen. We can't. There's a lot of earth that's not even got anybody on it. Some's in, uninhabitable, but he's said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He wants us to have precious little ones. And everybody knows after precious little ones come, other precious little ones. <laughs> the little, littler ones that we like to call grand because they're grandchildren. And uh, we get an experience that now, praise the Lord, with three little fellas that run around. Cheepa, cheepa, cheepa. And um, we get to have a little fun with that. He goes on to say, and subdue it, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, so he did give us that authority and that power. And then it goes on in, in Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, he tells Noah. Genesis 9.1. He, he says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, let's see, that happened earlier. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Come on, guys. Fill the earth up. Bring forth children. Bless them. That's what Psalms 127.3, it says this, that um, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. God's blessed. A heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So everyone in here can smile. It's like, I'm a reward. I know when I was younger, I didn't see my mom's like, I don't know reward was what she was thinking of at all the stuff I put her through. It's like, but she, now she's saying, hey, I finally, I didn't kill him, so I'm getting a reward out of it because he's actually helping out and doing some, some good. Um, I want to say this, that we've got to change this thinking in our culture as well. That somehow children are cursed. That somehow we, we've, we've come to the place in our culture, we, don't, we have devalued human life. And you think of, of the millions and millions of precious little ones who are no longer, they're not able to run, they're not able to, to leap, and they're not able to think, and they're not able to be a part. We as the church have to do better and be able to bring that. That's why I celebrate. We have in our church one of our elders that has a ministry, and he goes all over the country helping Patrick Eads on, on women and helping men and women in crisis situations to bring forth children because we know adoption is always a possibility. We know that, that life is precious to God. Finally, one more thing I want to go over. And I'm not, I'm sorry I'm not getting into all the details of husband and wife thing. I'm going to let y'all do that. Um, it's in Ephesians 5. We'll look here in just a minute, but I'll let y'all, I'll, I'll give you the outline and you take it home and study it. But, uh, the next thing I just want to share is that is this Christ and his church is ultimate is the ultimate picture of what marriage is supposed to look like. Jesus, the way he loves the church is the way we're supposed to love each other. Ephesians five verse twenty five says this husbands. And it says husband. Actually, if you look in Ephesians five. Um, twenty two, twenty three and twenty four addresses wives. There's three verses. In verse 25, and it goes right on down, there's nine verses, three times as much that deals with men, with husbands. 
It says, wives, do that. But husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One thing I have to continually do, and we all have to do as husbands, is if it's not something's not right in my home, it's my fault. It's not somebody else's. I don't look at Well, and we looked at that this morning talking about, if you would do this, if you... I'm going to write a book called Mirror Therapy. And if we always looked and we just said, you need to do this. And, you, and I looked in the mirror and said, you need to do this. You need, you need to do this. We'd be a lot better off because we'd, we'd know that in my life and in your life, um, it's not about the sayings as happy wife, happy life. Anybody ever heard of that one? <laughs> I just want to tell you, if you love your wife the way Jesus, she'll be happy. If you, if you lay down your life in such a way, instead of waiting for her to get it together, First Peter, we're not going to turn there, but he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so it gives us a very powerful picture of what Christ called us to do. And in verse 31 and 33, 31 through 33, it says, therefore, Paul is quoting out of Genesis again, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he goes on to say, this mystery is profound. It's a profound mystery when you put it like that, but he says it, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus left his father to come be with us, his bride. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He did nothing wrong and took a beating and never uttered a word. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Can I encourage us men just a minute? I know sometimes we, 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 can, uh, we can get our feelings hurt a little bit. But can I tell you, when we go out and do stuff, and it's just really stuff that needs to be done, we want to parade sometimes. We want to look what, I, look what I did. Look at all this stuff. I want to tell you, Jesus took the whole, the whole relationship problem with man he took it all of it upon himself. I'm guilty of it all. He took all the shame, all the guilt, saying, put it on me. And never said a word about it. Never uttered a word. Men, help me. This is where we've got to be better at. It is my fault. I don't I need to be better at how I love my wife. I need to be better at how I demonstrate what Jesus did and how he did it. So it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and then earlier in that thing it says no one ever hated nobody he nourishes feeds for feeds it you know i went to a uh a church function at another church it was a a, a primitive baptist church and y'all i was trying to do what we do here i was trying to like okay y'all go ahead y'all go ahead and literally the men had to eat first they had to all the men went and ate like the women didn't touch anything till every man went and ate the food i was like Wow. And it's like, I was like, you, and they're telling me, you got to go. I'm like, no, I'm, no, y'all, I'm going to lay down my life. He's like, we had one woman, we can't eat till you eat. Get up and go eat. I was like, okay, I'll go eat. It was a thing of, some of y'all in here going, mm, I don't think so. I'll just say this. Jesus is the one that said, look, lay your life down. Lay your life down for your wife. And as you do that, and let, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to, for a wife to see to it when she feels honored and cherished and their life being laid down for that. Now, how does that apply to us in this culture? 
We live in a culture that is saying marriage is between anything and anybody, and it's only going to get worse. I just want to, I just, I want to prophesy and encourage you. It's only going to get worse. It, it will end up where two or three or four or my animal or whatever. It will get to that point because men left to their own understanding will go anywhere. But we have to look at it this way. Paul made a statement in Corinthians at the church of Corinth, and it was just as vile as an Atlanta, as a, you, you take a major metropolis in California, you name it, San Francisco, all the different thinking and philosophy. It was there at the church of Corinth. They had all these different temples of all kind of worship of every kind, basically just allowing the flesh to run wild. But Paul said, this is what we have to do. We can't judge those people that are outside the church. That's what he said. He goes on in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But he goes on to say, not at all meaning the people of this world. Who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. In other words, if we take the principles and we take what God has done in our lives and try to perpetrate that onto somebody else and they don't have a clue. They're living in their own understanding. Their mind's been blinded. And we say, you got to live like this many times. What's going to happen is, is they have no grid for it. There's nothing in them. They don't understand Christ. They don't know the love of Christ. They don't know the forgiveness of Christ. And Paul said, if we try to put that on them, we'd have to leave the world. We can't even do that. So I want to say to you, and to me, what we have to do in this culture, this has to do with the church, where we do have the ability to make a difference. And we do that by the life we live. Like the best thing I can do to, to show people how wonderful marriage is is to love my wife. And they go, man, that man loves his wife. <laughs> it's for me. They, they go and, and, and I take care of things at home like when, you know, like y'all don't even know about, like when the counters are all clean before my wife, you know, some different things for different, you know, like my wife, she loves those counters clean. Where, and I'm usually the last one to go to bed, so there's nothing in the sink. And the counter, she gets up in the morning and, oh, look, everything's off the counters or what? There's, it's all, there's nothing in the sink. It's already in the dishwasher. I already know that. And if I don't do that, it's on me. I already know. It's like, I'll get it in the morning. No, I won't. <laughs> so I make sure those are little things that I can do. When we live our life in such a way and people see the joy, they see the understanding, they see what we, how we love each other, especially as husband and wife, it makes them go, hmm, I'm missing something. There's something I need in my life. It even goes on in 1 Corinthians 5.12. He says this, what business is it of mine? Paul talking to himself, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you to judge are you not to judge those inside? In other words, even that word judge is to say we call people up. We don't call people out. We call them up to accountability. We encourage people and we do that each other. We look at them and say, hey man, it's in Galatians 6. We're not going to turn there tonight. If anyone's you caught in a sin, let you who are spiritual gently restore them in a spirit of meekness. At least you fall into the same temptation. And so tonight... I just want to settle in our heart this. God's the one who initiated marriage. He's the one that established it. It's for our good. It was to meet our deepest need for companionship. I'm so thankful he did. 
I love how God puts two people together. To, you go, hey, we're, we've got some now in the church, and they're different ones. Like, hey, hey. <laughs> you look, I celebrate what he does and how he does that in the church. And we, we have to honor it. Now, it does say, Jesus said, marriage is to be honored among all people. And so we, the first one, it starts right here in the church. So we celebrate that. And then we, we acknowledge that it is for my, for my good. It, it is for my thing. And it is to, for, not simply for procreation. It is partly for that. Because you get past the age of childbearing. You're like, well, if it's just procreation, it's like, well, I'm going to tell you, hey, it's not simply that. And then it is so that we can understand and demonstrate the love Christ has for the church. We demonstrate that towards each other. And so I want us to, to begin as a church to think. I believe God wants to strengthen marriages in our church in such a way. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're looking at different things. Uh, Patrick Ease and Natalie, they have a marriage group that meets on on um, on Sunday afternoons. We are, we are in the business of helping people, not pushing them away to help them do that. And we are here. If, if anybody is, is in any kind of battle or struggle, please come see us. We are happy to help. And some of you. Some of you can get together and help walk through it with people as well. That's what we need. Season people in the Lord to help people walk that out and say, let me, let me show you how to do this well. Let, let me, let me, let me take a young man and like my son, and I close with this. I wasn't training a, a kid. I was training a, a dad. I was training a husband. When my, when my son was young, I knew very well what I was doing. I was not, I took it very seriously and I was looking at delayed gratification. I looked at, we, we looked at, hey, you gotta have a good work ethic because you're gonna be, you're gonna be asked to do things you don't really want to do and you're gonna know what it is to lay your life down for, to do that. So I was training a husband, I was training a father for my daughter, I was training a wife, I was training a mother, not just training kids, say, hey, so, this is what we're doing as a church. When people come in, we're helping them take that journey and take those steps into what it looks like to do it well. And so um, I need all of you to help partner in that and us make a difference in the marriages and lives of, of this community and, and help bring, bring the, the love and the life of Jesus into that and help restore and strengthen that. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. Father, I do thank you that, Lord, you're the one that... that that causes two people to want to, first of all, commit themselves to you. And out of that commitment comes a commitment and a desire to commit ourselves to somebody else for life, forever, until death do us part. Lord, I ask that here at Christian Renewal Church, Lord, I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for for how well the the marriage is here. And, and Lord, the example that's been set for me and so many others. And Lord, I ask that, Lord, as we continue on this journey of, of, Lord, of helping people get to know you, of helping people find freedom, of helping people discover their purpose and helping them make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, I ask that in this area of marriage, in this sacred covenant between you and between two, between a man and a woman, I ask you, Lord, to help strengthen ours, every person in here that has taken that covenant, made that covenant with you and, and their spouse, Lord, I ask you now that you would give us strength. You would help us to pursue and, and, and build a marriage, Lord, through your grace and through your truth, one that will stand the test of time and one that others can run behind and find strength and joy in. Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom as we continue on of how we can reach out 
to others in the community, those who are struggling, those who are faltering, that, Lord, we wouldn't look at them with eyes of judgment, but, Lord, we'd look at them with hearts of compassion. We'd see them just as you did, Jesus, with, as sheep without a shepherd, and we'd come alongside and help lead and guide them to greener pastures. Lord, I thank you right now for using this church to make an eternal impact in this community. Lord, I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I want us to do this. I want to, uh, I'm going to make myself available. They'll uh, be playing some music in just a moment. If you'll stand up with me at this time, I'm going to bless you. But I'm going to make myself available. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be here. And uh, any healing or anything else, we will pray for you. Lift your hands to the Lord and receive from Him. Father God, You're the creator of the universe. Lord, You commanded blessing to be spoken over Your people where Your name might be placed on them and You in turn would do the blessing. And so I say to each one of You, the Lord bless You and keep You. The Lord cause His face to shine upon You and be gracious to You. And the Lord lift the light of His countenance on You and give You His peace. In Jesus' name, Amen.